Welcome back to Small Town Missing. I'm Thomas. I'm Will. And I'm Rhonda. And we've been having an interesting conversation we that I don't been. think we should be getting into. Oh, no. We won't say it. But like, no, I'll, but I'll say... It was, it was odd. See, that's our second podcast that we'll start. We'll do a second podcast. Oh, my gosh. That would be... Just a stream of consciousness. I think it might be even darker. Yeah, well, you know. I mean, like... It might be an even dark. darker concept than what we're talking about now. What would we call it? Obscure diseases? I yeah. mean, seriously. Oh, we're there giving is away too one. much information. There's one like that. There's a there's a episode... Well, there's a podcast a like that already. They they talk about infectious diseases, and it's like they go through each each week. It's like a different infection and stuff. I think that's great. I think that's... Especially for, like, biology and stuff. That'd be cool. Yeah, Thomas well, and I are rolling our eyes. It's like, okay, you would be the only one interested in that. Yeah, okay. we've... Uh, we we lived the past three years in a pandemic. I think I'm good. I don't know. Some of those ones I'd rather, you know, COVID is terrible and everything, but some of those ones I've seen on that podcast, eh, yeah, I don't want any of that stuff. No. But y'all ready to start the episode? Well, wait. I, I have something, Thomas, and I told you I was going to do this at the start. I don't remember um, what it was. See, he never listens to me. Um, so I found, so, you know, we, we we stream everywhere pretty much, like anywhere that you're available to get your podcast, everyone. Look us up, rate us, subscribe, all that good stuff. But um, on Audible, I had found, we've we read some of the ones on um, Apple Podcasts, but I found uh, two more reviews on Audible, and they're kind of uh, on the different, like one of the reviews is more recent than the other, but um, there's one, the actual goddess Hecate Thomas said this. Okay. So that's her screen name. Okay. She goes, this is a great podcast. It says this was on the 10th of November. It says, I'm a huge true crime slash missing slash vanished listener. I found this podcast on Audible and decided to take a listen, and I'm glad I did. They did a great job telling the details, and I can't wait to binge and listen to all of them. That's nice. That is great. That's so nice. And then we had one by Maria who was not the goddess Hecate. Uh, she said, it's very good first episode. I'm drawn in and can't wait to see what happens next. I hope you get the answers you're looking for. So I'm I'm going to get those answers. I'm going to try to for, for Ruth, for Ruth Dorsey. That's our first episode. Yes, and we had a guest on we that did. episode. I think we had a guest the first two episodes. Yeah, we, we did. I was like, my mom, uh, Melissa, was on there, and she has a, she she was a great addition to it. I feel like we're very similar in, in a way. Yeah, oh, yeah. So, I, but I just wanted to mention those. I said that's a you know we've had multiple good reviews. I feel like lately, so I'm I, I'm I'm all about putting some positivity out in the world here. Awesome, I I like positive. Yeah, um, certainly. And if you have anything that's not positive, hey, it's a learning experience. That's okay. Put exactly. it out there. Exactly. But do it constructively, <laughs> not like hey, we're gonna rip everybody down. Yeah, we don't want anybody's feelings hurt. I can't help my voice, by the way, everyone. I know it's about and my he voice. he is a man. I'm a man. I said, I know I probably don't sound like it. I can't help it. I'm a man. That's all I'm going to say. All right, Rhonda. Start the episode <laughs> before he goes on another soapbox. A tangent. <laughs> okay, here we go. Uh, okay, if anyone listened to our uh, recent uh, Tika, uh, Lewis, and Sophia Juarez episode, we mm-hmm. were talking about if uh, whether or not Tika was the youngest person we'd done an episode on, and she was two at the time of her disappearance, and at the na- at the time I could not remember yeah, of the the name of the young girl who had disappeared in an earlier episode, and it was Amber Nicole Crum, mm-hmm. and she had disappeared from Dallas, Texas, on December twenty sixth. 1983 mm-hmm. and she also was two years old wasn't that the one from uh the abducted from the uh like it was in the parking lot of that one like grocery store was that the one we were talking about i think so she was in her mother's boyfriend's truck uh-huh and she disappeared he had gone into maybe a convenience store yeah. a gas station i don't recall exactly but she had been taken from his truck mm-hmm. or disappeared from his truck i don't know maybe she had gotten out maybe to look for him and disappeared 
I don't know the obviously the exact details. Mm-hmm. 1983, they wouldn't have had cameras, but, yeah. so we wouldn't know. But she did disappear from his truck. Uh, I'm telling you, and all these ones that we've been doing lately too, these younger girls, I just hate that. They're so young because that's such a vulnerable population anyway. I mean, they're, they depend on people like us, like adults and stuff, to really like take care of them and to know or have potentially someone that takes advantage of that and like lures them away. Is That's so scary. It is. Yeah, and you're right. They they are trusting for the most part, I would assume, of adults. Yeah. Unless they have, for whatever reason, you know, either experienced something or been told uh, you don't talk to any strangers, mm-hmm. which most children are told that. You know, yeah. beware of strangers. Uh, you know, parent, family member, okay. But, you know, anyone else, no. Yeah, don't. just come get us or something like that first. Right, you know? right. Just be wary. Don't, don't trust a stranger. Mm-hmm. You know, most are told that way. But... Mm-hmm. You know, back in 83, maybe not so much. Yeah, I mean, everyone, yeah. How many documentaries or, you know, podcasts have you heard that's like, oh, this was a sleepy little town. No, Nothing bad ever happened. We left our doors unlocked. I'm like, I've never been that way. I've always been so suspect of other people. So I don't know, y'all. Y'all just be careful. Yeah, well, all right, here we go. And I'm sorry, Thomas, I'm going down a tangent. Think of the uh, Moscow, Idaho, the four students that were killed. Yep. I think it was the same thing was said. They hadn't had a murder there in like five years, yeah. seven years. Yeah. You know, a basically, quote, sleepy little town. Mm-hmm. So That's there so you go. Scary, y'all. y'all just be careful at the start of the episodes. If y'all have gathered nothing from some of these episodes, just be careful and be aware of your surroundings for sure. Yeah, definitely. Okay, let me get this going. Misty Donna Copsey was 14 years old when she went missing from, I hope I say this correctly, Payallop, Washington on September 17th, 1992. And that's P-U-Y-A-L-L-U-P. Mm-hmm. P- p- <laughs> it I'm sounds s- good to me. I'm sorry. That I, sounds amazing. I should have asked Thomas because he's so much better at this. He's a good, he's a good enunciator, pronunciator person. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Misty and her friend Trina Brevard had gone to the fairgrounds that evening. Misty was supposed to take the 840 Pierce Transit bus back to Spanaway, Washington, which is about 15 miles south of Tacoma, and that's where Misty lived. Mm-hmm. Not Tacoma, but but uh, Spanaway. Okay. Okay, looking at MapQuest, Palliup is about 10 miles southeast of Tacoma. So, you know, not, not that far away from a, a larger town. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, Copsy called her mother, letting her know that she'd miss the bus, and she told her mother she might ask a friend, Reuben Schmidt, to take her home, but her mother asked her to find someone else because she didn't trust Schmidt. And I don't know if there was some kind of a history there. Yeah. I, I'm sure there was to some extent, mm-hmm. but Schmidt was 18 at the time, so he was four years older. Yeah, that's a, that's a little suspect. I don't blame her for not trusting that. That's the, I, it, the idea of like trusting an 18-year-old to take care of your 14-year-old daughter, I, I don't know. I, I see where she's coming from. Yeah, I can understand that too. Uh, Misty decided to walk home, which is about eight miles away. Oh, wow. Okay, so this was, okay, at eight, she missed the bus at 8.40, so mm-hmm. it's later. I'm sure it's dark, I would yeah. think. Uh, she was last seen at 10 p.m. in downtown Puyallup, walking along the meridian toward the westbound on-ramp of Highway 512. And it's thought that Copsy didn't have any money when she disappeared. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know exactly why. I mean, yeah. she'd been at the fairgrounds, so maybe her friend Trina said stated uh, maybe she had spent all the money she thought she had on it yeah they probably brought like a certain amount they're like okay like here's a 20 dollar bill once we get done we'll leave or something yeah like that. that that would be my thought too you know mm-hmm. i've got some money in my pocket and it's all for the fair let's have fun exactly uh so misty's family con or misty's mother contacted family and friends the next day and she reported misty missing when no one that she can't 
that she contacted had seen or heard from her. Yeah. And <clears throat> apparently Misty's mother had been working that night, and that's why she couldn't come pick Misty up. I do remember that. I do remember that being like a source of contention for some of the people back in the day. They're like, oh, why didn't she come? I'm like, well, she probably had a job. And Misty's 14. Like, she should have maybe prepared for something like that, maybe to go with a friend or, you know. And it's one of those things, like, I'm not going to blame anybody because, by the way, like, some crazy person probably got her. So I'm you can't blame any of the victims here. No, I would say not. And she, you know, apparently she told her mother she'd find a way home and her mother probably wasn't overly concerned about it. Yeah. Like you say, she was 14 and she probably felt comfortable that her daughter was, I guess, adult enough or, you know, that she could handle the situation. And it's 80s, too. I mean, you're not worried about her going missing, I'm sure, at that time either. Yeah. She probably never thought that her daughter would try to walk home. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Police at first thought that Misty was a runaway. And one of Misty's classmates said Misty had called her after her disappearance. And a second said she thought she'd seen Misty on on September 21st, which was four days after Misty disappeared. Now, according to Charlie Project, neither of these classmates were close friends with Misty. But police closed the case based on their information and told the media that Misty had been found. That's so... No, she hasn't. Like, that's such a lie. I I know. I know. I don't know what the miscommunication there was. Yeah, unless, like, an officer or somebody has, like, located her officially and, like, gotten a statement or something, I would not, like, close that case. No, and I I don't know what what their policy was. Yeah, me neither. Back in 83, and maybe they thought, okay, well, we know she ran away and she's... She's here. Yeah, this her person friend says saw she's her. Here. You know, oh, she's fine. I'm like, I don't know. In December 1992, police admitted Copsy may have met with foul play. Now, that's three months after she had disappeared. Mm. Five months after her disappearance, Trina Brevard and Ruben Schmidt were interviewed by the police. Oh, why, why so long? That's so such a long time. I think they were still going on uh, that she was a runaway. Yeah, and so maybe they're just like, they're not even looking for her anymore at this point. Uh, yeah, that's what it sounds mm-hmm. like. At least there was a good stretch of time, which I assume they weren't looking for. Yeah. Okay, let's start with Reuben Schmidt. Now, according to Schmidt, Copsy had asked him the night before about a ride, but he said he didn't have enough gas. Mm-hmm. Now, Misty had called him back, and I assume that's the evening of September 17th, and given him instructions on how to get into her house to get money to buy gas. Oh, okay. Now, Schmidt said he didn't have enough gas to get to Misty's house, which, according to Charlie Project, was about six miles from his home. Oh, okay. Schmidt's roommate said he did go out after that call, and he thought he was going to pick Misty up. But Schmidt said that wasn't the case. He hadn't seen Misty and didn't know where she was. Mm. It just sounds like, and too, like... I don't know, and that kind of makes me sad for her, too, because at that time, I guess she's probably, Misty is probably under the assumption that, oh, he's going to go get the stuff for me and meet me here and stuff like that, and then, you know, she's kind of left out high and dry, and then she goes missing after this. Yeah, I don't know if there was any kind of communication, yeah. or, or if he just said, no, I can't do it, yeah. and just left it at that, or, you know, I don't know, like you say, maybe she made an assumption, hey, yeah. he's going to pick me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, when police interviewed Trina, she said Schmidt was supposed to pick up both girls and take them home. However, when Schmidt refused to drive to Misty's house for gas money, uh, Brevard said she decided to walk home and Misty would take the bus. Police found out that wasn't the case, and Trina's boyfriend, 23-year-old Michael Reiner, had picked her up. Trina said she offered to let Misty ride with the two of them, and they would drop Copsy at her home, but Copsy didn't trust him and didn't accept the ride. Mm. When Reiner dropped Brevard at her home, she told him Copsy had taken the bus home 
uh, Reiner passed a polygraph and was eliminated from the investigation. Mm-hmm. And we know that maybe, you know, Misty was going to catch the bus, but she missed that 840. Yeah. So that's what I happened. I hate that. That one thing, if she would have gotten that bus, she could have, like, that whole aspect of this case and the, her life could have been changed forever. Like, just missing a bus. I just hate that. Yeah, we wouldn't even know Misty's name. Exactly. exactly. She'd be, you know, here 40 years later, you know, yep. wouldn't know anything about her. Not, not the... You know, everyone who listens to true crime anyway. Mm-hmm. Ruben Schmidt confirmed Trina Brevard's story, but Schmidt told police he had suffered from blackouts most of his life and didn't remember anything about Misty's second phone call. The next morning, he woke up at his grandmother's farm where near Newclaw, E-N-U-M-C-L-A-W, Newclaw, I hope that's it, mm-hmm. Washington, and that's about 18 miles east of Puyallup, Washington. So he's just like on a blackout, he says. Like, That's oh, what I don't he remember. says. Now, he took a polygraph, but it was inconclusive. Oh, of course it was. On February 17th, 1993, a private search party finds Copsy's underwear, jeans, shoes, and one sock. She was wearing these clothes the day she disappeared. The clothes were in a ditch near the intersection of State Highway 410 and Waco, W-E-Y-C-O Road, near the Mud Mountain Dam area. They got a lot of interesting names in this one, right? They do. They they do. And it's a challenge for me. Sorry, folks. I'm just terrible with you are not. pronunciation you of pretty much anything. You sound great. Uh, they were covered in mud and appeared to have been outdoors for a long period of time. Yeah. Analysis revealed no blood or semen on the clothing. However, three red paint chips were found on the jeans. And per Charlie Project, these paint chips have been misplaced. Oh, oh, wow. Of all the things to misplace, too, because that could link her to, like, maybe a car or something like that, you know? I, I agree. I agree. And I don't know if that maybe they've been found recently. I, I hope so. Or when they were lost, you know, how quick, how soon they were lost, how long they've been gone, yeah. nothing like that. And I can understand, too, with what you were saying about no DNA because it's been so long. They've been out in the elements for that long, you know? Yeah. Uh, February 20th, 1993, Misty's hair pick and toothbrush were found about half a mile from where her clothes were found. Mm-hmm. Both items were in her purse at the time of her disappearance. Now, we were talking about DNA. DNA testing was completed on the genes in 2009, uh-huh. so significantly later from when they were found. DNA found on the genes was that of an unidentified male. Oh, they did find some. Okay. They did, but they didn't find Misty's, which I thought was interesting. That Yeah, because that's like she's wearing those and stuff seemingly. Like, it'd be all yeah, over that. You would think. So I don't know, but obviously they were out, out exposed to the elements. I don't know. But yeah. you would think... If you found anything, it would have been something on the inside of those genes. I yeah, mean, like exactly. Skin I mean, cells, whatever. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that weird. much about DNA. But. Yeah. I wonder if like, if that, if one of the things too, like if they found some unknown male's DNA, like I wonder if someone theoretically could have like found those clothes and like messed around with them and then left, like just dropped them back or something and maybe. Maybe. I don't know. That's speculation. I'm, oh God. All the people are shaking their heads right now. <laughs> I don't have the year in which this occurred, but witnesses said Reuben Schmidt made statements that he knew where Copsy's body was and that it was six miles from where her clothes were located. Interestingly enough, Schmidt's grandmother's farm is six miles from where the clothes were found. Oh, so and he was there because he was there like the day after, apparently, like and he had blacked out and said, oh, you know, he woke up at the farm. So that, right. you know, that's weird. Yeah. Schmidt admitted he made the statements, but he only did that to get people, quote, off his back. And the statements weren't true. He took a second polygraph and passed it. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know about his 
his logic on that. It's like, okay, if you tell people you know where a dead body is, yeah. that just kind of draws more people in. Yeah, too. You'd be like, hey, by the way. Yeah, yeah. You need to talk to the police. Yeah, it's like, I'm going to report you, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if Schmidt was ever considered a person of interest in this case, but he said he didn't have gas to drive from his home to Misty's home, which we said was, what, about six miles? Yeah, six miles. But he made it to his grandmother's farm that night. Yeah, which is a lot farther. Yeah, which I think was, I said, what, 18 miles from the fairgrounds or from the town where she went missing. Yeah, so maybe he just told her, like, oh, I don't have the gas money. He just didn't want to go or something. I think that's probably what it all boils down to. Yeah. I just don't want to do that. Yep. Uh, now we come to Corey Bobber. Now, Bobber lived in the area and was interested in the Green River Killer. Oh. He had a suspect for those killings, but it wasn't Gary Leon Ridgeway, which was uh, is in jail. Yeah, for that. For yes. the boss. You know, he, he was the uh, Green River Killer. Yep. Oh, that's, that's what he was in jail for. Bobber thought the murders of Kimberly DeLang, age 15, and Anne, Anna, she bought Noy. I'm sorry. I'm, I should have. I should have gotten Thomas to help me with this. What? C- let me. Let me. C H E B E T N O Y. So we're looking here. Oh, Shabatnoy. I, I have no idea. Alyssa, that. hey, that oh. makes me feel better because even Thomas is having difficulties with that. Makes me feel better too. Yeah, yes. that uh, that's Shab- an interesting. Shabatnoy. We'll go with that. We're a- so sorry, everyone. Yeah, I'm sorry. I apologize profusely at not being able to pronounce some of these names. As she was 14, and he thought that they were connected to the Green River murders. Delang disappeared in 1988. Shabatnoy disappeared in 1990. Both were from the Payallup area, and their remains were found within 100 feet of each other. Oh, wow. Now, according to Charlie Project, Bobber thought since these two girls were killed two years and one month apart— Another victim may have been murdered two years and one month from Shabotnoy. Oh, I do remember this aspect of that, like the, of this case, like them kind of thinking that that was the pattern there. Yes, and that was around the time that Misty disappeared. Oh, wow. So he contacted Misty's mother and told her his theory. Uh, Bobber's the one who suggested looking for Misty in, in the Highway 110 area, which is where her clothes were found. Mm-hmm. And the location is about a 10-minute walk from where DeLang and Shabotnoy's remains were found okay so yeah that would kind of fit the mo too because like they'd be found in a similar area especially if those same victims that they thought were you know connected were found in that same area too so maybe misty would too you know that makes complete sense yeah yeah you would think and it's quite a coincidence yeah by the time police and misty's at that time police and misty's mother thought bobber may have been involved in misty's disappearance but he had a partial alibi the night he disappeared and it's not he's not considered a serious suspect bobber is agoraphobic which oh, will is yeah so so it's basically so thomas you might know it a little bit better but for what i think of it it's like you don't like leaving your house it gives you fear like you don't like going outside the outside world is like scary to you yeah uh i'm acrophobic what's that oh heights terrified heights oh Y'all should see him sometimes. Like, and this is the same man, by the way. I know we're, this is an aside. He wanted to jump out of a plane. Well, I said I'd consider jumping out of a plane. <laughs> uh, I'm not acrophobic, and no, I won't jump out of a plane. <laughs> she just yeah. won't jump out of the plane. It makes no sense. <laughs> but all right, let's go on. Okay, and according to Charlie Project, Bobber never had a driver's license. So, oh. you know, I don't know how often he got out, but apparently wasn't often enough to get a driver's license, and he did have... he was agoraphobic yes yeah, so agoraphobic wonder, yeah i wonder how this uh this man like got on the you know suspects i need to research that a little bit more why he was a suspect in the green river killer you know 
Uh, well, he wasn't. But oh, he, he wasn't. He had a suspect in mind, oh, okay, and it was okay. not Ridgeway. It was someone else. But I, I don't know. I didn't have it in my notes as to who he suspected okay, the killer was. Okay. But apparently, that did not pan out because we know Ridgeway. Yeah, you know, was, we know the end of that one. There. Yeah, he was found guilty of that. Okay. Uh, I, I found that he agreed to take a polygraph, but then backed out. I mm-hmm. don't know if this is smart. was ever rescheduled. Yeah. Very smart. Yeah. Don't do that if you can help it. Yes. Uh, he doesn't have a history of violence or sex offenses. His only criminal history is time in prison on drug charges, but that occurred after Misty's disappearance. Oh, okay. So nothing prior to to Misty's disappearance, like you're saying. Right. Uh, Because both DeLang and Shabbat Noy were found before Copsey's disappearance, he may have just thought, you know, this is similar to what, you know, similar, same age kind of a thing. Yeah. Maybe they could be connected. So that that would be my guess. Yeah, and at that point, too, you're looking for anything, any connection, because, I mean, this case is really cold at this point. Yeah. Well, per Charlie Project, investigators also believe the two murders and Misty's disappearance may be related. Hmm. I love that. I mean, especially if they can find... And it's kind of like a mixed bag. Like, you know, you hate all these victims or, you know, mounting on each other. But if they can find like a definitive link and stuff, that's just one step closer to identifying who did it and maybe getting that person off the streets. Oh, yeah. Now, as for the Green River Killer, Ridgway confessed to murdering 48 women. Oh, my God. And according to FBI.gov, Ridgway may have killed many more. And the murders occur- occurred <sighs> near Seattle and Tacoma, mm. which we're talking just a few miles south of Tacoma. Exactly. Okay, I included a link uh, to King County Sheriff's Office, which lists Ridgway's victim, including three unidentified women. And if you have any information that could help identify these women, a phone number is included on that site. And by the way, when Gary Ridgway was arrested, he was working at the Kenworth Truck Factory where he was a spray painter. Mm-hmm. And this is from Wikipedia. Yes, yes. And I think, um, yeah, it's been like fairly recent, too, that they've they've linked like the Green River Killer, right? I mean, I feel like this was like very recent that we've actually identified him, correct? Uh, yeah, I wish I had put the dates down as to when he went to trial, when he was arrested. Yeah. I think you're right. I want to say like maybe... Gosh, was it 2001 or something? Yeah, I mean, it's been fairly recent. I think, like, recent in this, recent to me in the span of like true crime world is variable, you know? But yeah, I feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I said, that's crazy, though, that Rhonda, you have a good little case going on here. You're like all these little connections and stuff that you're making. It's, it's an interesting case. That is interesting. And I, I bring up uh, Ridgeway and Spray Painter. Yeah. And think about the three, three paint chips. Ch- paint chips. Yes. That's very smart, Ron. Where are these paint chips? That's what we got to find next. I Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe they've been found since uh, Charlie Project was updated. I yeah. hope so. Or maybe maybe they have been found and they're just not, you know, they're holding that information. Yeah, or I something don't know. like that. Well, my thing is, too, it's like, you know, especially with information like that, I could see them holding that closer. But um, it also, like, it just sucks because I'm sure, like, as they've moved evidence or whatever over the years, to, I'm sure, like, make room for new evidence of new cases and stuff like that. It just sucks that certain things can probably be lost or misplaced, and I, you know, which is normal, I'm sure, but it also sucks whenever you have a family that's looking for answers, especially. I imagine it's difficult to gather everything oh, and yeah. keep everything, I guess, together. 
I mean, I can't imagine the evidence room, how large of an evidence room you have to have yeah. to store all of that. Yeah. And, and when you and when, when do you make that decision of, OK, like we got to move this evidence or something like that to make room? I'm sure they have to do that all the time. I'm sure that's, you know, things that they have to painstakingly think about, you know. Yeah. Boxing things up. Yeah. Moving things boxing around. things up appropriately and moving it carefully and, you know. Oh, yeah. Not to get any DNA contamination. Exactly. Because, exactly. you know, this happened in. 83 yep and so dna testing you know didn't evolve until much later yeah and like i had said in this um, podcast what was it 2009 yep. is when they found the dna on the genes mm-hmm. i mean how many years later was that oh a lot of years and I'm, I'm like you can only do so much with uh you know certain things of evidence and if you misplace that like that's just a whole lead out the out the window at that point you know yeah exactly or somehow it gets contaminated exactly Okay, there was an unconfirmed sighting of Misty in northern Minnesota shortly after she disappeared, but there's been no trace of her since uh, her clothing, her hair pick, and toothbrush were found. Yeah, like, I, I don't think that's substantiated. If she doesn't have the clothes she was wearing that night, like, what else would she have had, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Now, Misty is Caucasian with blonde hair and green eyes. At the time of her disappearance, she was 5'8 to 5'9, weighing 105 to 120 pounds. She was wearing a navy blue pullover sweatshirt baggy light stonewash jeans with a funky stitching and rolled up cuff. I don't know what funky stitching means. <laughs> I don't know. That is interesting. I'm doing quotes. Don't know what that means. Funky stitching. Uh, um, but anyway, so uh, something different, something unique, I assume, yeah. about the jeans. Yeah. She would now be 44, and you can see age-progressed pictures of Copsy at age 35 on Charlie Project, which will be included in our show notes. Mm. I've also included a link to a Twitter post uh, put out by the Payallop Pal- Police Department on September 16th, 2022, oh, wow. the day before the 30th anniversary of Misty's disappearance. And it contains numerous pictures of Misty around the time of her disappearance, as well as the phone number of the Payallop Police Department tip line and a link to their tip site. Oh, wow. So that's awesome. I'm glad that they're still pursuing this after such a long time, too. 30 years is a long time to keep track of something. It is. It is. And there, like I said, there's several pictures out there. So, you know, take time to go look. Exactly. And if you're in that area, maybe if you were at the fair that night. Yeah. And you remember something. Yeah. It would be, you know, pass it along. Uh, contact the uh, police department and let them know. A death certificate was issued for Misty May 2000. Mm -hmm. And if you have any information, again, on Misty's disappearance, please contact the Puyallup Police Department, 253-841-5415, or the Pierce County Sheriff's Office, 253-591-3337. Well, Rhonda, that was such a good one. And I, re- I remember Misty's case and uh, thinking about like, oh my gosh, like how many things, if she could have just gotten that ride home or like, you know, somebody, something wouldn't have gone wrong there and just her whole life could have been altered and stuff like that. I, that's so crazy. And I, I hate stories like that. So they, that's an awesome one that you, I think you did an amazing job covering it. Uh, thanks, Will. I mean, I'm sorry I butchered some of the names. Uh, I would too. Me and Thomas couldn't have done any better. <laughs> Hey, some names are confusing and hard to pronounce. Exactly. That's just the way things are. Yep, that's just how it is. And if they're offended about it, we don't mean it in a disrespectful way. It's just, you know, us not being able to pronounce something. Yeah, uh, again, yeah, sorry about that. And like Will said, we don't mean to do, be disrespectful at all. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like the podcast, please tell others about us and share. And um, as always, the links will be in our show notes. And you can reach us on Instagram, Small Town Missing. All right, catch you next time.